Hello, and welcome to a, I almost said special episode of Sideshow, but aren't they all special? <laughs> Each and every one. Uh, this is a uh, special episode of Sideshow for Carnival Personnel. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And I'm Joe, I'm, I'm saying it right now. We're going to cap it at 45 minutes max. And I max. Know, I know we're going to go beyond that. So I'm going to introduce this episode as part one of the Late Night with Conan O'Brien uh, retrospective. Yes, not the current iteration of Conan Show, which is great, but I'm talking about the OG Conan O'Brien, 1993 to 2009. I was a huge Letterman fan, and I was bummed, happy for Dave to move on to, to the 11.30 slot at CBS, but I knew it was never going to be the same, because what you can do at 11.30 versus what you can do at 12.30 is just night and day different. And I remember... Nobody knew who the fuck Conan was. So I, you're in high school. I'm finishing college. I'm up at that time. So it's like, I'm going to watch it and give it a chance. But nobody knew who Conan was because he was a behind-the-scenes guy. Yeah, and uh, I'm one of those people. Although I think I might have... Uh, I can't say I knew that he was a writer for The Simpsons when he was announced and leading up to it. But, you know, shortly thereafter, I'm like, oh, I see his name in the credits of The Simpsons, so I kind of know where his humor is coming from. And then, coincidentally, all of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons are written, quote-unquote, by Conan O'Brien. But I do remember that night, that uh, September Eve, I think it was, I'm going to say without looking, September 5th, 1993. Let's see if I'm right. Now he's going to look. And and it was, I mean... I really think that that was a golden age of late night. It wasn't overly saturated. The John Stewarts and stuff like that were just starting or or just about to start. You know, they weren't really around then. But Conan really came out of nowhere and just didn't make you at all like like forget or you know or not miss Letterman. Um, any more than you did. But when Letterman moved on, it was a time for him to move on. And Conan didn't miss a beat. Like, from day one, Conan's show was awesome. Yeah, it was September 13th, 1993. John Goodman was his first guest. And uh, he was an awkward... Whatever happened to John Goodman? Nothing. <laughs> he, uh, Conan O'Brien, let's, let's just say Conan O'Brien wasn't smooth like I am on the dance floor. He's... <laughs> he was... Um, his, awkward. He was awkward. His hair was not pompadoured. It was more, a little more flat. Boys, regular, please. But uh, he had, he he had something. He had an energy. Andy Richter was the sidekick. Nobody knew who the fuck he was. But I think the biggest draw was the drummer. Yes, Max Weinberg and the Max Weinberg Seven. But Max Weinberg was, of course, from the East Street fame. Uh, Billy Joel, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy Joel. You, how un-American you, you swine, you. Dis- uh, I just wanted to get you a stare. Good name of New Jersey. You can I will take back. what no one has said first. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah, everybody knew who Max Weinberg was. And then people also knew that who were in, like who kind of were late night nerds, knew that uh, it was being produced by Lorne Michaels, so and it was, he was sort of handpicked out of a crop of uh, potential hosts. He got the nod from Letterman directly. Yep, he got the blessing from Letterman. I mean, Worldwide Pants what was was it Worldwide Pants? No, they no, it's probably a video. It was okay. Lorne Michaels. Yeah, credit to where credits due. It's like Letterman didn't blame 
a lot of people he shouldn't blame because of that. I mean, he, he was never a dick about Conan taking over his spot, you know? And, and at the same time, it, you know, that's, that's a different story. You know, that, yeah, there's, there's watch, been movies made about Watch The Late that. Shift. Yeah, read The Late Shift book or watch The Late Shift movie from HBO. So, so Joe and I, we just want to chat on this sideshow some of the things that we love and miss that we tried to rip off on our own sketches. And it's unbelievable when you think about 93 to 2009. Jock, let's talk about the past. The past, Joe? <laughs> In the year 1993. <laughs> so that's one of one of my favorite bits. And again, like Joe and I quote the same movies and use the same quote. Management and I do. Neither the wife or I have the ability, if we hear the word future, it's like, well, somebody will be talking, you know, down the road, sometime in the future. And the wife and I will look at each other. The future, <laughs> the future, Andy. Um, the the skit, the year two thousand, which they never changed the name after the year two thousand. They kept it right into through two thousand nine. But just real quick, uh, before we get into the awesomeness of the show when it became successful, let's briefly look at the dark, dark early years. The first, like, I don't know, the first thirteen months. I remember hearing on an interview Conan did talking about the details of his contract. They were on a week-to-week basis over there as far as whether or not that show was going to survive. There was that little... There was that much hesitation and trepidation about the success of the show and whether or not they were going to invest good money into something that may or may not tank. That's how on the bubble they were. I don't know how many times I've heard him in different interviews say in that time period... Every time the phone rang, he was sure it was the call canceling the show. And even if he came out gangbusters and polished and had his shit together and his interview skills were there, you are replacing the biggest entity in that time slot. I mean, honestly, before Letterman, the 12.30 to 1.30 slot was Carson. You know, no, Carson was eleven thirty to, to. Well, I mean, originally it was it was like a one o'clock show. Like Carson had a ninety minute show. Right, right, but that's in the last thirty minutes. And who's the the other guy? The black drop backdrop Tom was always smoking. Tom Snyder. I mean, that's what that time slot was before David Letterman actually made it a bankable, billable entity. And, and at the time when David Letterman started, most networks were off the air at that time. I mean, this is when, at 1 o'clock, most networks went to test Play patterns. the national anthem and right. play the test pattern, yeah. So to replace that, you know, that giant, I mean, it was like whoever comes in for the Patriots next, whoever came in for whatever was going to replace that guy, it was going to be a labor's battle. And, then another, and you were going to be compared to that. Yeah, and another thing that I remember hearing Conan talk about his philosophy on how he was going to approach the show versus Letterman, he's like, Letterman's idea of... His show was, let's deconstruct the late-night talk show concept. Let's show everything. Let's show all the fourth of the, the cameras and turn them in the audience and show all the like, cameras on other cameras and doing all this stuff. Let's deconstruct it. Conan's philosophy was, let's do a, a real like Johnny Carson-type show, but with the wackiest shit and the most like subversive, surreal stuff possible, but play it 
you know, as straight as we possibly can. And that's what the genius of that was. Yeah. I'm bringing in people like Smigel. Yeah, for, Robert Smigel. From, from day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Smigel was the head writer and, of course, the creator of Triumph, the insult comic dog, and The Voice. But we'll get into that as we go along. So I guess, how do we want to do this? Do we want to just sort of like Tourette syndrome, like favorite bits? And Well, the reason we were doing this is Joe and I were talking about the regular carnival personnel the other day. And he's like... We should do these kind of sideshows because we've recently talked about expanding sideshows to five days a week, watching movies oh. <laughs> and talking about movies while we're watching that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and we've talked before about different things. And he's like, we both love Conan. Why don't we do a Conan thing? But let's try to quantify it. I mean, we've both seen him live, but truly, I don't want to say it's like, well, his first three albums were the best, man. Everything after that sucked. No, he's great. He's always been great. But in this time, it was special. And, and probably from 96, 97 to 2005, 2006 was just the golden age. Almost couldn't, couldn't miss the show. I, remember, I would tape the show religiously. And then this is me, 95. I actually attended a taping of Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 1996. Maybe it was 95. I forget. But I, I was supposed to go with a friend. My friend backed out at the last minute, so I, I went alone. And, um, you know, I felt like a creep, you know, just standing in line for a talk show with no friends, nobody I knew. But I had a really, really good time. I was surprised at how small the set was compared to how I envisioned it in my mind. The guests that night were Francis Ford Coppola, Brian Gumbel, and Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Never but heard of him. I remember, I think, the two other band members from Green Day... I think they came out after Billy Joe sang um, uh, Time of Your Life solo. They came out during the end credits and like tore apart his desk, like put stickers on it and fucked up his desk. And it was funny. It was great. Another thing I remember real quick was that during the countdown in between segments, you would be like, okay, we got 10 seconds, nine, eight. And then Conan would be like, I hate you. Go fuck yourself. You know, <laughs> just trying to throw off the stage manager in between and then getting the audience laughing. But go on. Let's 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 get into it, man. Let's talk Conan. What? Give me give me like three of your favorite bits. Oh Can man! Can you do it? Triumph the insult comic dog. Now now before we get on, one of the bummer things is so much of this stuff we're never going to see again. Right. Flat out. It again. Why is that? Much like with the Letterman thing, it was a bitter divorce. It was you know it wasn't a bitter divorce at the beginning. Conan, you know, got the Tonight Show gig, and we all know what happened with that. But it is the quote unquote, and we all learned this term when Letterman went from the Tonight Show when he went to from late night to the CBS late show that he couldn't take a lot of his bits because they were developed under the NBC contract, and it was intellectual property of. He had to negotiate to take the top ten with him, but a lot of the stuff he had to leave behind. So getting to Conan, a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about, you can find online. There's plenty of YouTube. Thank God for the nerds of my era who videotaped this and then held on to it and digitized it and put it on YouTube so that you can watch it. Because if not for those nerds, you would not be able to see the magic that was Conan O'Brien's late night. There, there was two episodes that I, I give anything to have. Hour-long special when he went to Finland and his Christmas episode. And I don't know what year. I reference it all the time. I had that on my when TiVo first came out. It must have been on TiVo for five or six years. And you would go through these purchases where you could only tape so much. You could only have, like, say, 100 hours. 
I would delete everything I could possibly get off there, but I could never, it wasn't until we switched carriers and didn't have that TiVo anymore. I mean, I, and, and it wasn't like I would just see them up there. We were playing with the management and I love those two episodes, but it is hard to find a lot of this stuff because it's, it's lost to intellectual property. And unless NBC says, you know, and they'll do it in 10 years, they'll release like the gold, like they do with Carson. Do we have to wait for him to die? And then they'll start. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Carson owned all of his stuff. But my favorite bits would probably be Triumph. The clutch cargo segments. By clutch cargo, I mean, this is a. I didn't know what clutch cargo was. I had to be introduced to it because it's a 60s reference. It, it was that shitty version of animation where they would take a still photograph and then superimpose video of just an oval around the mouth of uh, somebody just talking, like on another camera, like on a B-roll. And uh, they did this with um, many, many celebrities. They had, uh, you know, Robert Schmeichel doing the voices of, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger. They'd have a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then you just have the mouth hole cut out for Schmeichel backstage, talking one-on-one with Conan uh, via a a satellite. Bill Clinton. You know, Bill Clinton would come out and go, Yeah! Hey, Conan! There are so many, so many of those that were they're fantastic. I mean, I mean, you want to just start going down? Yeah, lists? go go through a couple of the things that you, you when you were talking about that you wanted to bring up. Okay, well, Pimpbot Five Thousand is probably yep. one of my favorite favorite characters. Hey, Conan, what's happening? Oh, hey, Pimpbot, how's it going? I'm fine, like cherry wine. <laughs> I wish the podcast was also streamed because Joe cannot do voices without actually he's doing he's moving like a robot as he does it. And this robot, if you've not seen Pimpbot Five Thousand, it looks like like Bender from Futurama, but it would have like this giant seventies huggy bear huggy bear hat, <laughs> and he would talk about you know keeping his bitches in line, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking robot from the fifties. The more you know segments. Uh, that's the obviously the, the NBC PSA announcements that's been around since the 90s or even the late 80s. And they were brutal. They were just brutal. Like It would always be one, two, three. It would be Conan like, you know, because I'm an NBC employee, they asked me to record a lot of public service announcements. So I thought I'd debut one tonight. So here's my public service announcement. And then it would be about, like, you know, making sure that you cover up for a murder or <laughs> something something terrible. So I'm going to say in the pantheon of things that the pantheon. Joe, thank you. That Joe Keep and your I pantheon. <laughs> that Joe and I quote back and forth sometimes on the podcast, but we usually don't get through a conversation without referencing was this no. It was it was a PSA, but at the time uh, the cigarette companies were starting to get their asses suit off, you know, and this was the when when those big huge cases were coming. And part of the lawsuit is that the cigarette companies had to pay for anti-smoking PSAs. Like part of the deal, they had to pay all these people, and they had to put money into a fund. And so Conan and Andy were like, "Wait." So the smoking people have to come up with PSAs and pay for them to keep them, you know. And so they cut to what they think one of them was going to look like. You see just a black room. There's a desk. And sitting at the desk is Adolf Hitler. And he's writing something. And all of a sudden, one of his minions comes up to him, hands out a cigarette, and goes, Cigarette, mein Fuhrer? And Adolf Hitler says, Nine! And then it cuts to a graphic that just says, Be like Hitler. Don't smoke. (laughs) 
and it cuts back to Andy and Conan, and Andy's like, I, I, I don't want to be like Hitler. <laughs> I, I don't want to smoke, but I don't want to be like Hitler. <laughs> um, but we quote that all the time. It's like, I can't tell you how many times either I've said to JoJo, said to me, be like Hitler. Don't smoke. <laughs> Cigarette, my Fuhrer. No! But that is one of the ones that will never get old. One of the, and we already mentioned it, but like the year 2000, they had U2 on, I think in like 2004, 2005. What's the premise of you in the year 2000 for those who don't know? Oh, well, it was, it was, it started very early on and they were trying to imagine how different life was going to be way off in the future that was just. The future, Conan? And of course, the person who would sing every, between each premonition, they'd have. The uh, I think it was like the trumpet player La Bamba would sing in a high pitched falsetto in the year two thousand. But when they opened the bit and they and you know it would always be such a forced setup and that was part of the joke. It's like, what do you think is going to happen in the future, Conan? Or you know, Andy, the future Conan, and then down from the ceiling would come these space apparatuses. Oh, they put on these black cowls around their neck with, uh, you know, it would have be like bedazzled a little bit, and then the room would dim, and they would it basically like it hold flashlights flashlight. and put them under their chin, and they would say like, you know, Donald Trump will be president of the United States. You know, something outrageous. Even more outrageous and yeah. unthinkable. But yeah, I mean, that was a bit. And again, we already said it, but it was great when they had U2 on it. And they did the year 2000. And it just basically, it was the edges chance on national television to sit there and shit all over Bono. It's like, <laughs> in the year 2000, which is five years ago, scientists figure out why Bono wears those ridiculous oversized glasses indoors. In the year 2000! <laughs> that, that was one of my favorite bits. Another of my favorite throwaway gags was the Max on Max segments. This is a really obscure deep cut. So Max Weinberg was the drummer and band leader for the Max Weinberg 7, and he was very kind of, he looks like an accountant. Like, he looks like he shouldn't be playing the drums or any musical instrument that isn't a clarinet. (laughs) (laughs) But he's obviously one of the best drummers out there. And most famous. Yes. But he's also a very soft-spoken, kind of modest, reserved kind of guy. But then they would cut to him to introduce these segments called Max on Max, and it's supposed to be like... I, you know, Matt, I guess, well, uh, how did they couch it? Was it like Max was being introspective and then it would eventually just cut to a superimposed shot of Max fucking himself in <laughs> every single every time. time. Right. And like, not just like, like bare chested. And by the way, not a bad looking guy with his shirt off. No. If I was going to get banged by a 50 year old drummer from. From New Jersey? From New Jersey. A Jewish drummer? With with horn-rimmed glasses. Yes. The Buddy Holly look. Wireframe, by the way, not horn-rimmed. What about the announcer? The announcer was always one of your favorites. Joel Goddard. Yeah, this booming voice. It's Over the top. Yeah. It's Late Night with Conan O'Brien. With Andy Richter and the Max Weinberg 7. But then they would also incorporate him into his own special bit, where they would be called, like, checking in on Joel. And they would cut to Joel in his recording booth, and he'd always have this Joker from Batman smile on his face, like happy to be alive, just up and, you know, full of vim and vigor. But he's an older gentleman, and they would just cut to him and say, hey, Joel, how's it going? He's like, 
I rue the day I was born. And it just like, you know. <laughs> and and he would every fucking bit would be darker and darker and darker. Like I think I wouldn't be surprised if they dipped into pedophilia at one point <laughs> just to see how far they cuz he they he seemed like the guy who shouldn't say the things that he said, but whatever they put in front of him, he just read and went and he sold. Full heart. Yes. All in. Yes, just oh. like his pedophilia. Where do you uh <laughs> where up. do you weigh in on horny manatees? See, the horny manatee, I kind of am fuzzy on. It wasn't a later thing, especially because one of the bits, and I don't know if it's still up there, but somebody said it half-jokingly, mentioned horny manatees, and somebody goes, oh yeah, hornymanatees.com, one of my favorite websites. And then <laughs> the next day, Conan goes, so yesterday we mentioned a website, hornymanatees.com. Little did we know that our legal department was listening, and they informed us that since we set it on the air, we had to officially buy it. So now we own hornymanatees.com. Which right? they created a website yep. and just pictures of manatees. Like, But it spawned this thing where they would come up with the most outrageous things they could say and add .com to it. This is when the GoDaddy started and all these. But legally, if they said something and added .com, and then Conan would come out the next day with the letter or the email that the legal team <laughs> and would be like, this is how much you spend on these domain names. But all of them for years, link back, they would have to go out and buy the domain name, but then they would all link them back to just hornymanatees.com. So no matter what he said, you could go, you know, you could type it in and it would pop up. Another segment that I liked a lot uh, was if they made it. Which was always misheard by half the audiences, if they made it. Right. But it's if they mated. It basically, it was like morphing technology. It was Photoshop like in its infancy. It was in the 90s, and it was new. And, and you know, the NBC people had Photoshop well before the rest of the public had it. So they would just take celebrity photographs of two people, likely or unlikely couples, split them together. Usually unlikely couples. Yeah, like, right. you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and... Um, Carla from uh, oh from uh, from Cheers from Carla from Cheers yeah <laughs> you know, yeah like, oh what is her name yeah but Rita Perlman Rita Perlman yeah it'd be like Dwayne and Rita Perlman yeah uh, and then of course like they would get ridiculous it would be like um, you know what would happen if it was like Roseanne Barr and um, I don't know John Panette I don't know I'm, I'm pulling it out of my ass and then it's like it cuts to like a stack of pancakes with a diaper on it. <laughs> <laughs> So so I brought it up earlier. So I'm going to talk about one of I would love to own, you know, a digital copy of this. You know, I don't want to own a Blu-ray or no. a VHS or a Laserdisc again. Not that I ever did. But he did a Christmas special one year that I reference all the time. When I think of my all-time favorite Christmas specials, it's, of course, Charlie Brown Christmas, the Paul Lynn Halloween episode, and... Conan's Christmas episode in which he had two Olympic skaters on the world's smallest skating rink. It was it was probably like five by five, you know, but it was actual ice and they had Olympic skaters. They had this bit, which we'll talk to we'll talk about A for Goder a lot, but they had this whole bit about Dirty Rock does the lighting of the tree every year and it's a big presentation. Well, they had a whole 
documentary inside the special about going out into the wilderness and picking the pagoda. And, <laughs> and, and there's a pagoda just standing there and it's like, you know, typical rain jacket and, and fedora and the same look on his face. They cut down the pagoda. They put it on a flatbed truck just like they do the giant tree at 30 Rock. And then you see a pagoda tied to a flatbed going through New York City. And then, of course, the lighting of the pagoda. That was my favorite thing. A close second in this episode was they had the uninspired kids choir. (laughs) And it was always funny to me. It was always one of my funniest bits until I had a couple dream squashes of my own. And I have to go to these first and second grade recitals where they don't want to be there any more than you want to be there. A third of the kids are just moving their lips. A third of the kids are singing the wrong song. And the rest of them are, oh, it's so monotone, awful, off-key, and he kept cutting to it. I would give anything to have a recording in the Uninspired Kids Choir. But that episode of Conan, that hour, is in my top ten favorite hours of TV, period. Yeah, I mean, there are so many... So many great moments. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the obscure. I'll race through some of the obscure sketches. Uh, the masturbating bear, the Mickey Mouse of the late night with Conan O'Brien show. What, what, was it that character in itself that was awesome, or the music? <laughs> and, the, and, and the bear wasn't masturbating as much as furiously <laughs> masturbating. It was, it was a giant bear costume uh but it was wearing a white diaper with a big big bulge in the front and all it would do was just jiggle like furiously just jiggle the front of it while while that music played the plate spinning music from ed sullivan conan babies very obscure again very robert smigelish it was an animated segment in which the conan o'brien cast were babified as it a la Saturday Morning Fair from the 80s. Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies, Flintstones Kids, that kind of shit. But, uh, you know, they would travel back in time or something, and it was it was fun. Uh, let's see. The Staring Contest, where they would just have Andy Richter and Conan O'Brien sitting across from each other like they normally do in between guests. Andy would be staring at Conan just kind of pensively and sweating and nervous like he's going to lose and Conan is staring at Andy very cool calm and collected and then about five ten seconds in after they've zoomed into each other's eyes they'd cut to a wide shot of Conan and up from behind Conan they'd have like you know a man and a woman (laughs) with the words Andy's mom and Hitler and then they'd make out you know, something like that. And then anything to freak Andy out. And Andy would just keep staring and sweating and kind of licking his lips like, oh, my God. Eventually, Andy would just go, ah, and then give up. And Conan would always win. I've already mentioned him once. The Abe Vigoda Death Watch. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, I kind of remember. Okay. The- so it would go back and forth. Hey, it, it, he wouldn't be on the show for a few months. It's like. Andy, have you have you talked to Abe lately? No, Conan, I, I haven't. Oh, well, I haven't heard anything in the paper. You don't think he died, did you? 
And then the curtain would open, and there's Avery going up, I'm not dead yet, Conan. <laughs> and then the curtain would close, and that's it. And I always thought that, like, here's Avery Goda, who probably lives out, you know, in Connecticut or wherever, <laughs> you know, has to trudge all the way into the city. I bet he was more local. Just than say, that. I'm not dead yet, Conan. And that was it. The Avery Goda Death Watch. Uh, a couple of the other characters. Amy Poehler made her, uh, I think, TV debut as uh, Andy's sister, Stacy. You know, the sort of like, uh, you know, teenage, you know, kind of angsty. angsty. They had a Carl Oldie Olson, who was just this really old guy that uh, they put in sketches. They had this word. It now means like a dance. It's like a type of dance. But back then it just it was like a made up word. It's like, you know, because we're on network television, we still are held to FCC standards and we can't swear. We can't say dirty words. But that's only the dirty words that the censors don't know about. That's why we've come up with our own swear word, crunk. Yes, crunk. Hey, kids, everybody's doing it. And then they would just show, like, clips of, like, people falling off cliffs going, crunk. <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, Triumph the Intel Comic Dog. And I want to, I, I think I've shown this to you. I don't know if I have. Oh. I have a Triumph the Insult Comic Dog puppet. That is awesome. That I found this at my mother-in-law's house years and years ago. And no I, questions asked. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was literally just laying there, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's Triumph. Which is really a creep. Like, he's holding up in front of me, and it's creeping me the fuck out. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Yes. It's Triumph. Everybody can do a Triumph voice. This is not good. This is the best podcast for, for me, me to poop, poop on. <laughs> I kid. I kid. The, the fact that this character is now a 20-year running character that has appeared on other shows, catchphrases for me to poop on. <laughs> I'm here at the Star Wars convention. Oh, the best. The best. Are these the buttons you use to call your mother to come pick you up <laughs> when the show is over? <laughs> uh, and he would always hold a cigar out in his mouth. But it started off. As one of many dogs and puppets that uh, they did this, the, the Westminster Kennel Dog Show, and they would have like these dog puppets come on, and um, Triumph was just one of the dogs with a special talent. Like they treated it like a pageant <laughs> where all these dogs had special talents, and Triumph was just a dog who was an insult comic. He had a gold bow tie, and he would always have a cigar in his mouth. And the things that he would show up at, openings and premieres. Oh, God, yes. It became one of those things where you wanted him to come. At the MTV uh, Music Awards, he sat next to Eminem and had like a, a, a epic like fight with Eminem. Like Eminem did not want to be talking to a fucking puppet during the MTV movie. <laughs> but this is like in the seats, like not on stage. Right. It was in the seats. and So think about that. So here's Robert Smigel laying on the floor or crouching on the floor, right. holding his hand up to have <laughs> only the puppet in the shot. And here's Eminem getting mad at his hand. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, how do you get mad at, at Ernie? You know? Right. <laughs> right. Well, if Ernie was Don Rickles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, one other thing, I'd be remiss, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up, I mean, they had multiple great guests on that show. We're talking about the bits. There are great guests that had crossed paths on the late night show. My favorite guest of all time, and I think you would also say this, would be Norm MacDonald. 
Yeah. Norm Macdonald on Late Night with Conan O'Brien is, it's it's like Rickles on Carson. Did they, did Conan write for SNL when Norm was on the show? I mean, is that, did they have a chemistry going back to there? They might have. I mean, Norm, well, no, I don't know if Norm joined after 93. I think he might have joined after 93. I mean, Charles Grodin, no, no, Char- no, no, Charles no. Grodin had a great thing with Letterman. Charles Grodin and Letterman was epic. Rickles and Carson. But yeah, Norm MacDonald and him. The contentious nature that they exuded. It was, is it real? Is it, you know? Right, because Norm Macdonald is such an interesting guy and just a bad, like, he would just go on there and just not give a fuck. Such a bad interviewee. Yeah, just a bad interviewee. But then my favorite, my favorite, probably my favorite late show segment of all time would be the episode in which Norm Macdonald was the guest, but he was then the couch guest for Courtney Thorne Smith, who was coming on, who was from Melrose Place fame. And she was the second guest, and Norm stuck behind uh, to just sort of riff with Conan and, and Courtney during her interview. And um, How'd that go? It went well, in my opinion. It went <laughs> very well. She had just left Melrose Place, like a hit number one show for Fox. And she was there to promote a movie that she was, did with Carrot Top. It was Carrot Top's <laughs> debut movie. She wasn't great on her feet. She rolled with it, but she was a good sport about it. But she was she not. Was, she wasn't a fellow stand-up used to heckle. Yeah, she wasn't with the uh, yeah upright citizens brigade. Let's just yeah. put it that way. You are making a movie with Carrot Top, right? I made a movie with Carrot Top. Okay. <laughs> you made a movie with Carrot Top. It's it's not out yet. Wait a minute. She left Melrose Place to do a movie with Carrot Top. <laughs> That's where I'm going, my friends. <laughs> But uh, what's the movie going to be called? If it's got Carrot Top in it, you know what a good name for it would be? What's that, Norm? Box Office Poison. (laughs) All right, well, there's this two-hour season finale of Melrose Place. There's this movie coming out, title undetermined at this point. Chairman of the board. Oh, all right. Do something with that, you freak. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet the board is spelled (laughs) B-O-R-E-D. It's beautiful. Go watch this on YouTube. It's on there. You won't be disappointed. It, it's. I really like Norm Macdonald. I mean, I know he had a short-lived sitcom in which he played a retired NHL hockey player. Who else knows that? I think it lasts like five episodes. But that chairman of the board thing will forevermore make me love Norm Macdonald. And it's one of those things, the look on Conan's face is like, Oh yeah, what, what, what did I expect? Like I, I invited this in that poor girl. I don't think she was ever seen from again. <laughs> no, she was on according to Jim. Hey, where's Grady? The... Grady? Yeah. You mean Grady from <laughs> the hit show Grady, Grady, which was a spinoff of Sanford and Son? Right. I don't know, but I know that Conan was looking for him. Which is funny because it's like you go and look at Grady's IMDb. It was never, he was never really unemployed. Right. But maybe Conan just didn't know there was a network dedicated to like black sitcoms in the late 90s when he was looking for him. This was pre-internet. This is probably 94. Yeah, okay. When this is like, where's Grady? Because he hadn't been like on the radar, if you will. So, you know, there was no IMDb. There was no I. Let's just put it that <laughs> So the, he had a put out a campaign, like a nationwide like dragnet, like all points bulletin. Where is Grady? I don't know if they had the decency to name him by name. His real name? Yes. 
But that was a funny bit. What else do you have on your list? The other thing is, one day, and it started very genuine. I guess on a regular basis, talks to people, goes outside and sees people waiting in line to come in or, you know, once they're in, like kind of walks and works a room a little bit. But there was a contingent of people there from Finland who had brought pictures of their prime minister and couldn't get over it. Like they, their mission, I think was just to come here to get on the show, to show Conan pictures of their prime minister, a woman that looks like it could have been his twin sister. So it goes back and forth. It becomes a running thing for several months. Then NBC decides they're going to do a whole hour special in Finland. Next to the Christmas episode, this is, in my opinion, Conan's finest hour. That episode was so over-the-top amazing. He literally went around and tracked down all these people who had written letters and just showed up at their house. Like, like, uh, oh, he was greeted at the airport, like the Beatles at JFK. And he was so underprepared to how he was going to be received by that. And then there's one great moment where he's in an apartment building and the girl won't come out because she's really sad and she's talking to her through the door. And then he's like, you know, but I came all the way here. It was really, you know, I really wanted to just, you know, give her a hug and tell her it was going to be okay. And they cut to girl walking out of the apartment building. You know, it's snow everywhere. It's it's Finland. It's winter. And giving a hug and Conan telling her it's going to be okay. And this is a little pep talk, a little life-affirming thing. Actually, a sweet moment. And then Conan goes... Yeah, we're just kidding. That's an intern who made the trip with us. She still won't come outside. And the intern was like, yep, I'm Cindy. I'm from New York. You know, blah, blah, blah. But they really sold it. And then one of my other favorite moments from this, and I don't know if it was the same woman's house, but he goes to ring the doorbells, and it's an apartment building, and you see all the other names. And there is a name. Before I say it, I was telling when Joe and I were sitting here doing prep and making some notes about the things we want to talk about, I wrote on a piece of paper something and I turned it over so he couldn't see it. Uh, my management happens to be, you know, upstairs. And so I called her down and I said, okay, don't embarrass me more than usual, but the Conan Finland episode, break it down in one word. And she's like, Fagerstrom, and I flipped over the page. There was a guy whose name was Forrest Fagerstrom, and a good five plus minutes of this episode is Conan knocking on the guy's door, yelling, Fagerstrom, Forrest Fagerstrom, and then out in the street, you know, calling up to the guy's window or just a window. He doesn't know what apartment it is. And then the rest of the show, including when he met the prime minister, he asked, do you know Forrest Fagerstrom? It was just this running thing. Um, you know, he went to Reindeer Farm, but but that whole that whole episode of him in Finland is. I bet if somebody did an interview, I'd love for somebody to break down, like you know, where do you rank that week of your life and and that week as a personality? Because it, seriously, it was it was the Beatles landing at JFK in '64. Um, but those the Christmas episode, that and the running bit with with. A Fragoda, because I felt a connection with Conan O'Brien because I was always an A Fragoda fan. I didn't know there was another A Fragoda fan out there. I can tell you 
the premise of the Barney Miller spinoff show, Fish, with him and his wife. And the whole thing was they had all these foster kids, but it was one of those overly political correct thing where they had like 10 foster kids because they had to have one of each race, creed, <laughs> and color. You know, I mean, if it was now, they'd have a transgender in there, but they made sure they had fat one, a small one, a Latino one, a black one, uh, you know, everything in between there. Mm. Um, it was definitely like Norman Lear, like, you know, got amok. But but when they started using him as a running bit, I'm like, yeah, I'm in for the long haul. Right. <laughs> I'm sold. Right. One thing I got to see uh, live when Conan did his legally obligated to not be on television tour or something like that. One of the live segments that they incorporated into his live show was the Walker Texas Ranger lever. Check this out on YouTube because it's it's really more of a visual than we can describe here, but essentially because NBC had bought Universal, they also own now the rights to all of the Universal properties including what was shown on the USA network at the time and what was like blue bloods today on on uh you know my tv or whatever the hell uh USA eye on television oh eye on television eye on television like keep Joe. an eye on the people <laughs> watching that show <laughs> but back then and US the, the USA network would show reruns of Walker Texas Ranger which was the uh 90s Chuck Norris vehicle uh, where he was a, a Texas Ranger named Walker who would solve crimes in most unusual fashions. And the writing on the show was uh, treasonous, abhorrent, uh, vile, awkward, unusual, anything. Every show was solved by him kicking a minority in the head. <laughs> but the clips were so awful out of context that... They were awful. In context. They, they were. They were. Uh, I know. They were awfulsome, as I like yeah, to say. Yeah. Okay. Well done. So what Conan would do is there was a lever next to his desk where, if the show started to get into a, a bit of a lull, he would pull on the lever and then automatically show a clip from Walker Texas Ranger that was just ridiculous out of context. Like there was one scene where Walker and his female assistant or helper or whatever they arrived at a field. I don't know. They, they were looking for something. And Walker gets down on his knee and picks up a chunk of dirt, literally picks up dirt and puts it in his mouth, spits it out, and he goes, a plane crash near here. And then cuts. Like, <laughs> uh, there was another one where they pulled the lever and it cuts to Walker and uh, they're talking to a little boy. And how are you doing, little partner? Fine. And it's a little visitor now. Out of Wyoli is how you say it in Cherokee. Oh, well, pardon my French, but uh, I'll be damned. <laughs> Walker told me I had AIDS. God, like, <laughs> right. like, that's it. The worst, the worst times ever. I almost forgot, and I was just going over my notes. There was a writer strike in, I think, 2006. 2006, 2007. 0708. 0708, thank you. Mike Huckabee, uh, let, let's be really clear. He's a fucking piece of shit. Christian, fundamentalist. Um, he, he's just awful. Yeah. But his numbers were going up in the poll. And the thing is, like, there became this feud between Conan O'Brien, John Stewart, 
and Stephen Colbert taking credit for his rise, even though they were making fun of him, because Stephen Colbert was saying it's because of the Colbert bump because he was the faux conservative guy. Um, Conan O'Brien was taking, I forget why Conan spin on it, that he, it, it became this thing, I made Huckleberry, or I made Huckabee. John Stewart, who was a writer on Conan and, you know, uh, helped develop the show, took credit for Huckabee's success because he helped create Conan. Mm -hmm. Thus, any success that Conan had would have to be attributed to him. And the thing is, there was a writer strike. So they had to do a show every night. So they, for a few months, would just keep going on each other's shows. Or they would just get together in a hallway and film it about talking about how they have nothing to talk about tonight <laughs> and they have to find ways to kill space. So they were talking about, okay, we'll talk about this on my show tonight about you and you, and then actually, oh, the camera's right there. Crap, you know. Right. But they did for, for a few months to get through the writer's strike because they were all within a block or two, like Jon Stewart and Colbert were shot in the same studio. In the same studio. Yeah. And it was just like either a couple blocks down the street or right around the corner is where 30 Rock was, you know? And so it was really, really funny. Like that was one of my favorite moments. That these are three really funny guys that obviously missed their writers, but while other shows were taken off the air or canceled or went on hiatus or... And they had been off the air for two months. Like they, they were trying their darndest to tr just sort of ride the tide and when they find that, when they just had to capitulate and say, look, we, other people are going to lose their jobs or whatever, we have to put something on the air. Yes. This is what they came up with. And it was brilliant. I, I mean, I, and that for me, it's like I've always loved John Stewart and Colbert and stuff, but that window was just absolutely great. Do you remember what, uh, in this final episode, I, I don't remember. No, let's go to his final, yeah, no, his final episode when he destroyed the set. Yeah, well, okay, go on. You, you, no, no, because you, you, no, no, I don't remember much about the final episode, unfortunately. Oh, uh, uh, in the final episode, one, you know, one of the bits is, well, over... The final episode of Late Night. Of Late Night. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Over the last week, uh, over the last week of the show, I forget who was on the set, but accidentally on purpose like fell backwards and ruined a part of the set. And then it became this running thing with when a guest would come on or go off the set to just break something. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> you know? Will Ferrell or somebody. And, and he would always say, it's like, who are we kidding? We're not getting our deposit back anyways. And then as the last episode was ending, like, truly, he just starts breaking stuff. Then there, there was also, like, the retrospective of what his favorite bits were. And he said, Conan's favorite all-time bit of uh, 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 that he's ever done on the show, and he thought summed up him personally was when he got to participate in a Civil War era reenactment of uh, baseball. And, um, and they, they filmed like this eight-minute piece. Uh, it is a masterpiece, by the way, because everybody's in character of that, you know... Civil War era. It was like post-Civil War. Did Ken Burns have anything to do with this? No. Okay. No. I, but he should have. He he went all out. He he had like the the old like the pinstripe uniform and the the curly mustache. Just like sort of a you know, put up your dukes. That's <laughs> that sort of look. But I don't know if there's anything else that we want to babble on about. For there is. We didn't even get into Andy leaving. And then years later, coming back. Right. And and there was a big difference. I mean, Andy was one of those, and he is a sidekick where 
I know Letterman didn't have the best relationship with Ed McMahon, like off camera. They didn't have a bad relationship. I mean, C- Carson and Ed Carson, McMahon. Carson and Ed McMahon, but they weren't friends. Yeah, like like and, and what's really interesting is how when you heard Gary Shandling's show, hey now, like, Larry Sanders, Larry Sanders, Hank, well, um, Hank um, yeah. all these writers and people who knew the inner workings of those shows were like. That's a documentary. It's not a comedy. It's like the Larry Sanders show was so much more like how Carson's show really was in the relationship and all this stuff. And I, you know how much darker off camera it is. That, I'm not saying that that Andy and Conan had that, but he wasn't just the, the the second fiddle. And I don't know how much of a writer he was, but it took a while for Conan to kind of get back on track when Andy left, I, I think. Oh, yeah. Those were some weird times because he would try to do the same interplay with Max. And Max was not a comedian. He's a musician. Really funny guy. Funny guy. Right. But that. just not the same dynamic. Yeah. You because know, Letterman had that thing. I think Anton was Letterman's drummer and, and Letterman and Anton had this thing for years. And Max was great in what he did. Well, but Letterman also had Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer. But but Andy, Andy was so much a part of that show. Uh, I, he went, what, what was the show, Andy? Andy, Andy Richter, Richter controls the universe. Right. Andy Richter controls the universe was like a funny show. It was just a way ahead of its time, and it was like more of an Adult Swim type of show. Right. Crowbarred into a Fox format, and it didn't work. But or it didn't land with audiences. You know, from ni- from ninety three to to two thousand and nine, he did. You know, I did. I, I did a little thing, something like twenty seven over twenty seven hundred shows. Wow. And of which. 1,500 of them were absolutely worthy of putting in a time capsule and stuff like that, which is pretty great. You know, like I said, this is part one of an, <laughs> uh, you know, because I, I think we will do other, you know, we've talked about, because we both saw him on that tour. You know, I remember seeing him on that tour, and my favorite thing is like, because uh, this was when Twitter just started, and he was killing on Twitter in the first couple of weeks, but he's like, last week I had a television show. This week I have Twitter, right? <laughs> you know, and he was, but uh, we will. I, we'll do other Conan things. Just, just Joe and I, like you know, researching, going back about like the bits we like and writing down. It's like, oh, don't forget to bring up this. Don't forget to bring up that. Because again, we both jumped in and off on different different times with like you know Conan. And, and but I think I think you're right. I think like the ninety five, you know, ninety five to ninety nine was just. It was great before, it was good before, it was good after, but there was a five, six-year window where they were just great. Yeah, they were batting a 1,000 for years. So that's it. Any suggestions for other sideshows? We don't want to fucking, you know, seriously. Uh, anything that you guys want us to pretend we know what we're talking about or, or a movie that you think we're like, go ahead and uh, give, give Joe, give Joe a, a heads up on Facebook. Yeah, because Jacques won't see it. I will, I will see it on the Twitter. Yes. Where are you located on the Twitter? I am at the Jacques Four. Uh huh. You are Opti Grabber, and you are the voice of Carnival Podcast. Right. Sure. Whatever. I'm on Carnival Podcast. I I'm going to give you the username and password, and you can take care of that. No, no, you're doing great. I want to see you put up your dukes. Your, yeah, yeah. <laughs> put up your dukes. See. Because um. <laughs> now you can, again, Joe doesn't have the ability to do a voice without the mannerism. Right. <laughs> so when he put up his dukes, put up dukes and the reverse bicycle motion with his hands, like a bare knuckle brawler with a handlebar mustache. You should see my masturbating bear. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Oh, uh, man. Joe, this was great. Uh, I thank you. And um, I look forward to the future. 
the future, Joe. <laughs> Jacques, don't forget. 